0: Good morning, how was y'all's Thanksgiving? Wonderful? Seriously, wonderful? Yeah, I hope it was good. My mother asked what I was going to make this year for Thanksgiving, and I said, a scene. (laughs) So what did you make for Thanksgiving? Uh, People, surveys are all over the place, and so the most favorite food of all the holidays is mashed potatoes, according to one survey. The least favorite food for holidays—if y'all remember having this growing up as a kid—jello salad. Now yeah, I gotta agree with that one. I love the mashed potatoes, don't care for the jello salad. But one thing that was probably not on your Thanksgiving dinner table last Thursday is what we're going to talk about today, and that is this item called manna. Anybody know what the word manna is related to? Well, good, we're going to learn something today, because a lot of us don't. A lot of us who grew up in a particular church probably heard this story. So when you ask, what is that, you ask a good question. And the question that you ask is the answer to your question. Because the word manna is a Hebrew word that literally means, what is it? So when you ask, what is that? You are saying, what, they, what it is. It all goes back to the story of the children of Israel when they were freed from their bondage in Egypt and they were traveling to the land of the Palestines, the land of the Canaanites, and they walked through the wilderness. And because of certain things that happened, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they had been f- enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and now they're on their way to the land of the Canaanites, to the land of the Palestinians. And in Exodus, which is a record of that journey in Numbers, in Exodus chapter 16, the story tells us that the people were not happy. And they complained, they murmured, and they grumbled to Moses. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... There we sat around, pots of meat, and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now remember, the people of Israel had been enslaved for 400 years. And now it's almost as if they were saying, we wish we were back in Egypt as slaves because we may have been slaves, but it was good food back there in Egypt. It's hard for us to imagine. I can't imagine Why they would think that, why they would feel that, but that's what the record says, that's what the storytellers tell us. Well, in response to this complaint and grumbling and uh, murmuring, God did an amazing thing. God let some kind of heavenly cereal fall from the sky. The house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed and was white, and it tasted like wafers with honey. That sounds really pretty good to me. It really does. So, manna is a Hebrew word that literally means "what is it," and what is it? It became that word because that was the Israelites' response when they walked out and saw this freshly fallen cereal on the ground. They said the word manna. They were saying, "What is it?" Y'all remember the movie A Christmas Story with uh, about uh, uh, Ralphie with the Red Ryder BB gun and. One of the cutest scenes is when he wakes up and on Christmas morning, a fresh uh, cover of snow on the ground and angelic choir in the background singing and uh, his big blue eyes are just filled with wonder and his round cheeks are red with excitement. That's what I would have hoped described the expression on the Israelites' face when they woke up and saw this provision of food. But instead of looking at like Ralphie, they look like this little girl who's eating something that really just didn't sit quite with her. Take a look at this video. It looks so it looks like you're enjoying yourself. Mm. Oh yeah, that looks like you're enjoying Oh hey, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> This cute little kid was trying to be happy, trying to be nice, trying to be thankful. The Israelites, not so much. They looked at this food on the ground very suspiciously and asked, what is it? You can almost picture them cautiously looking at it, maybe carefully touching it, maybe even picking it up and smelling it and wrinkling up their nose after they did. What is it? And God said, yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's almost like an Abbott and Costello uh, episode on uh, who's on first. So the people ask, what is it? God says, yes. The people say, I mean, what's it called? God answers, what is it? And the people say, that's what I'm trying to figure out. What is it? Yes. (laughs) And the people say, God, you are so confusing. And God says, Yes, I am. Yeah, what is it? It is food, it is a provision. In 1753, uh, Linnaeus, a Swedish bot- botanist, design- designated this tree as, see if it's up here. Whoops, they didn't put it up there. Theobroma cacao. Theobroma. Theo means God, Brahmo is Greek for food. And cacao is chocolate. So chocolate is the food of the gods. Yeah. If that statement is true, I don't know why God didn't drop chocolate from heaven instead of manna from heaven. I don't think there would have been any complaining or murmuring had that been the case. So the story tells us that God has special instructions for the people to gather this manna and to uh, eat this manna. And those instructions are instructive for us in regards ...to our food as we look at the last in our series of Let's Eat. So, first lesson is this. As we look at Exodus chapter 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is a couple pounds for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did, as they were told. Some gathered much, some little, depending on the family and everything... And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they need. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away." first lesson I learned from this story is this only take what we need. Only eat what we need. This is tough. I could not have picked a worse topic for Thanksgiving weekend and the beginning of the holiday eating season. Because the fact of the matter is, I do not eat what I need. And I don't really eat what I want because I can't eat what I want. But I do not eat. Uh, In the amount that I need, I eat what I want, and the amount that I want to eat. Yeah. I am so full, I guess I'll have another piece of pie, just one more piece of pie. Most of us take a whole lot more than we need, not just on the Thursday of Thanksgiving, but every day. Jim Gaffigan says, how about at Thanksgiving? We just eat a lot. But in America, we do that every day. Well, what if we eat with a lot of people who annoy the hell out of us? that's kind of what Thanksgiving can be for so many of us. He goes on to say, most Americans eat constantly. And when we're not eating, we're chewing gum. We are literally practicing eating. We chew gum with a swagger and purpose that says, yeah, I got a big meal coming up. I'm training for Thanksgiving. So very true. So last Thursday, if you're an average person, you ate between 3,000 and 4,500 calories. And none of us ate on Thursday only what we needed None of us ate the amount that we needed. We all exceeded that amount. But our problem is not that this happens just on Thanksgiving Day. Our problem is this happens almost every day, if not every day. Because on average, the average American eats about 3,600 calories a day. That's a 29% increase than what the average American ate in 1961, the year that Denise was born. Yeah, we've gotten much greedier with our food in those days. The recommended amount of calories by the experts, only between 2,000 and 2,500. We far exceed that. We all need to hear, only take what we need. Now, this particular instruction speaks to us about our personal eating habits, but I think it speaks to us corporately, as a people, as a country, and about how we are to care for all people. The instructions are to take only what you need, but typically we grab so much more than we need. We grab what we want, sometimes without caring if there's enough for other people to eat what they need. The World Food Program, which serves in about 78 different countries, tell us that more than 330 million people worldwide are experiencing acute hunger, severe hunger, and that about 783 million people worldwide face chronic hunger. That's a gigantic rise from the pre-COVID world, about a 200 million person increase. So what has caused this seismic hunger problem? Well, the answer is really complex. It's a combination of factors. But the experts say that conflict is still the number one reason for hunger on the planet. That 70% of the world's hunger uh, people are in areas of violence and of war. But let's bring this a little bit closer to home in the USA. In fact, the USA Today, I think it was November the 20th, had this on their front page story. Food banks see worse rate of hunger in years. Susanna Morgan is the president of a food bank in Oregon. And she says, from where I'm sitting, after 28 years of food banking, what we have is the logical result of 40 years of dire economic inequality. The bottom line, according not to just Miss Morgan, but other people in that world of hunger as well, is that the most common cause of food insecurity is a low income. And if that's the most common cause of food insecurity, what would be the, what would be the solution? Maybe if we gave people a livable wage. Maybe if we provided for them affordable health insurance and health care. Maybe if we provided some child care maybe if we provided affordable housing and some financial consulting financial counseling go back to the story of the manna in exodus the people were told to gather twice as much on the sixth day enough for them to eat on the seventh day which is a sabbath day the day of the rest when they were uh, not allowed to do any kind of work but of course Some people then, are like some people today, some of them went out on the seventh day to try to gather some manna for that day, looking for the fresh cache of stuff to feed their faces and bellies. But on the seventh day, there was not any to be found. And as the story goes, God put a stop to their greed. But in our world, God has seemed to allow our greed to go unchecked. And God just allows us to cram our faces and to cram our bellies full of stuff while many others go without. In his prophecy to the people of Judah, Isaiah writes some very harsh words. The people of Judah lived in the southern part. If you know your Bible history, after King Solomon died, the people of Israel had a civil war, so to speak, and they divided into the northern kingdom, which they called Israel, the southern kingdom, which they called Judah. And Isaiah was a prophet in that southern kingdom of Judah. And the prophets in those days were voices of God. And so Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, said to the people of Judah, you all seem to want to follow me. You seem to want to obey my commands. And you say that your country is a country that belongs to me. And it follows me. Well, here's what it means to follow me, Isaiah speaks of God. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Fasting, of course, was a major way that the people of Israel and of Judah uh, worshiped and practiced their religion. But this is what God is saying I want you to do for your religion to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free. And to break every yoke. Maybe those, and he goes on, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Isaiah is saying, you all claim to follow God. You all claim you want a nation that belongs to God. And you do all these religious things. You fast and all this kind of stuff. But God says, here's the fast that I'm looking for. I want you to quit being unjust to people and practice equity. And I want you to begin to share your food with the hungry and to provide shelter for people. That's what it means to follow me. Maybe for those in our world who claim that the United States is a Christian nation or who want to work toward the United States becoming a Christian nation, they need to read Isaiah. I've not ever heard one preacher who claims that the United States is a Christian nation refer to Isaiah and say, well, this is a characteristic of a Christian nation. We feed the hungry, and we give shelter to the unsheltered. Why is it that those characteristics and those behaviors are never associated with a Christian nation? Rosalind Carter died this past week on the 19th. She's at the age of 96, and I think she understood the message of Isaiah She said, do what you can to show you care about other people and you will make the world a better place. And maybe we really will become the Christian nation that so many people proclaim that they want. So the first lesson I learned is to take what you need. Don't be so greedy with my food, with my resources. Second thing I learned is to focus on today. Focus on today. The instructions were to take just enough for today. Now, a very important understanding here of uh, any kind of story, whether it's in a Holy Scripture or in any kind of uh, uh, genre. We cannot take a story from 4,000 years ago and apply it directly to our time in 2023. So just because the people were not supposed to take more manna than they needed today doesn't mean you don't need to save for a rainy day. It doesn't mean you become wise, Doesn't be, don't become wise with your resources that you spend everything you have today. That's not the lesson here. And so when I say focus on today, what I am trying to practice in my own life is to live one day at a time. When I hear the phrase one day at a time, I think of uh, of, of the, that being the mantra of people in sobriety. I'm just one day at a time, almost one moment at a time. I'm sober this moment, I'm sober this day, and I will worry about what happens tomorrow, tomorrow. But I'm just focusing on this moment. And I think that is not just a philosophy and a worldview for those who are in sobriety, but I think it's a good worldview for all of us. One day at a time, one moment at a time, all I have, all I'm guaranteed is right now. So right now, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be considerate. I'm going to be loving. The next moment, which I'm already there, that moment's gone. It's a new moment now. Well, this moment, I'm going to be kind. Every moment is all we have. So focus on every moment. Be present. Be in the moment. And I really do believe that we can create the world around us by being in the moment. Remember what Exodus says. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Some of them paid no attention. They kept part of it until morning. It was full of maggots, began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Third lesson I learned from the story of the manna is to share God's concern for the environment. One thing that I get from that is that this manna was an eco-friendly breakfast. All the unneeded manna just melted away. There were no plastic wrappers. It was just biodegradable leftovers. And that just helps me try to apply this today. Are my lifestyle values in sync with God's concern for the environment, even to the point of what I eat and the packaging of what I eat. The next thing that I learned from this passage, this story, is the value of gratitude over grumbling. There's one thing that characterized the children of Israel probably more than anything is that they were a bunch of whiny babies. Every story in Exodus and Numbers, it seemed like the essence of that story was their grumbling and their murmuring and their complaining. I want to show you a video of a young girl who was anything but. Uh, in a world where young people are often criticized as being uh, entitled, this video shows there are a lot of young people who value a grateful spirit and express that grateful spirit. Take a look at this story of this year. Teenage girl. Oh, it. it's so ugly! I love it. Get Oh, you didn't stop the door. Dad drove it. He's in the bathroom. It's so ugly! I love it. Sorry, baby. It's I the love best I do. it. It's the best I can do. I'm sorry, baby. I love it. It's so ugly. That is one ugly car. But she saw the value and the beauty in an ugly car. I love the story of a young girl who shows appreciation. And a dad who was just doing his best. And his best was just an ugly car. A beat up ugly car. She would have thought, you would have thought by looking at her that it was a brand new or off the showroom floor. There are a lot of people who are filled with gratitude just like that young girl. This makes me want to live in the moment like she is and to see the value to appreciate the simple things of life so as we come to a close just let me remind you of what I took away from this passage and that is to number one only take what we need and a sub point to that is to work for economic justice if the economic inequality is a major reason for hunger in the United States what are we doing to address the problem of economic inequality and not paying people enough that they can even live and eat. Focus on today, live now, be present. Share God's concern for the environment and develop a spirit of gratitude that counteracts the spirit of grumbling. All right, do we have any questions, Denise? well that's a good thing yeah we can get home early today we need to be home early today and sleep after eight hours from texas yesterday yeah thanksgiving i'm thankful for you all thankful for this place a safe place for all And I thank you for making it that way for people and encourage us to continue that. Let's pray and then Chris will dismiss us. Father, I thank you so very much for the opportunity to glance back at a very interesting, sometimes humorous, but meaningful story of the past. Help us to follow the principles that we gained from this, this passage and help us to live right now Help us to be grateful. Help us to be caring, to practice what Mrs. Carter practiced, a genuine care for other people in order to create a world that is truly driven by love. In the name of Christ, all over this universe, I pray, amen.